Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sports. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast from The Athletic with me, Jackie Oatley, and with your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jackie. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, I didn't sit through a goalless draw against Brighton on Saturday, Mm. which is something we're going to reflect on in just a moment. Then we're going to preview Olympiakos away, and you're going to tell us whether or not we think there are going to be any fans in the stadium. We're going to hear from James McNicholas, one of the Athletics Arsenal correspondents, and we're going to talk about West Ham away, which is the next league match in the calendar for Wolves on Sunday, which is a huge game for both sides. And we'll come on to that very shortly. But first of all, Tim, hello, Brighton, Wolves bogey side? Yes. Oh, oh. I mean, I, I stuck a tweet out on Saturday suggesting that maybe Wolves wouldn't be too disappointed if, if they weren't playing Brighton next season. Um which was all in good, all in good jest. Uh, but as you can imagine, some of the Brighton fans didn't take too kindly to me gently wishing that their side was relegated. But yeah, four games, the last four games Wolves have played against Brighton at Molyneux have yielded no goals for the home team. Uh, three nil-nil draws and a two-nil win for Brighton. So you could call them a bogey team. And that, that record, the poor record against Brighton goes back quite historically actually quite a few years so yeah it wasn't a great game I'd rather been the, I'd rather been at the darts in Minehead to be honest it sounded much more exciting oh do you know what the darts was amazing I'm a little bit croaky <laughs> and a little bit groggy today I didn't even drink much last night one glass of wine yeah right amazing tournament yeah right it I know incredible. what these darts players are like Jackie <laughs> It is brilliant. There are loads of Wolves fans in there. By the way, Jamie Hughes from Tipton. We need to give him a shout out. He did so well to reach quarterfinals, but he uh, he missed eight match darts to reach the semi-finals against Johnny Clayton. So uh, we said we give him a shout out. He did really, really well. So I hope all Wolves fans get behind him. Jamie Hughes. So I was following it. It didn't sound like it was great, but it sounded like a five-all thriller compared to the goalless draw last April, April 20th, which happens to be the birthday of both my children when they turned five and eight. So it was a treat, although I thought I took them to Molyneux for their first ever game. And I think from memory, Brighton maybe crossed the halfway line once and that was Glenn Murray, but that was the instruction. And they, they ground out a point that they wanted, but it sounds like Brighton were a lot more adventurous this time around. I remember last season in that game, Brighton fans celebrated when they won a throw in in the Wolves half, <laughs> which kind of showed you how that game went. No, it was it was it was different. To be fair to Brighton, they weren't they weren't parking the bus. They weren't that defensive. They had three up front regularly. Uh, they got big numbers forwards. They were just hard to break down. Um, an organised defence, which is what Wolves have got as well, and. Wolves were infuriatingly playing it long a lot. <laughs> I was kind of tearing my hair out. 
um, against what must be the league's loftiest defence. You know, you've got six foot six Dan Byrne and uh, left Duffy and Duncan others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and then three of the back four of Brighton were booked between the 30 and 50 odd minute mark. So when Traore comes on after an hour, you're thinking, you know, get at them and they'll all be worried about picking up a second booking. But Wolves just didn't really take the game by the scruff of the neck. And Traore tried his best. I think he had produced five dribbles, which of, of course was more than anybody uh, on the field, even though he was only on the pitch for half an hour. But yeah, there was about six or seven Wolves players who had a bad day, who had an off day. Um, even Cody's passing range was off, which is rare. Uh, Neves had a stinker. Vinagre didn't play well. Jimenez didn't play well. So I think when you've got so many of your key players having a bad day, you kind of you take the point really. You take the point and you move on because Wolves could easily have lost that game. Um, I know they had both teams had a couple of chances. Could have gone either way, but Wolves could have lost it. So when you when your key players aren't playing well, you make sure you don't lose. And I know everyone's disappointed and wanted to kick on after Spurs, but it's not the worst result in the world and they'll take the point and they'll, they'll move on. You say that Conor Cody's passing range was off, You know his radar wasn't there, Neves' radar wasn't there. Any indication as to why that was? I mean, it was a very flat performance. It was a very flat atmosphere, very quiet in the crowd. It just kind of felt like after the Lord Mayor's show. N- not that I've ever been to a Lord Mayor's show, so I, I, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone has actually, Jackie. So, that, but but that's that's apparently what it feels like. Um, so I don't know. It's it's hard to quantify, really. Like I said, Brighton were very organised and gave Wolves little space out on the flanks. So. When Cody was playing those passes, he had a kind of a small surface area to kind of aim for. Um, and Jota and Jimenez just never got going as a partnership. And Vinagra, not much supply line from the left-hand side. So they really needed both wing-backs and, um, to be firing to stretch Brighton and prize Brighton apart. And then you need Dendonka searing into the middle, but he didn't have a great day. He didn't have a great game either. So nobody really played well. Um and yeah, just an off day and one to forget. But I don't think it's kind of indicative of any anything to really be concerned about or any kind of malaise or whatever. I think it was just one of those games. And you know what? They've played 47 games this season, which is more than any any team in England. So I think you can allow them. I think you can allow them an off day. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question you can't actually answer with any real knowledge, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Great. Okay. And that is, if they didn't have Olympiacos away coming up, do you think they'd have been as flat? Mm, their record is not great before Europa League games. I think they've only won one or two um, pre-Europa League. You've got to look at Traore, really, when you're looking at this, in that if we weren't playing Olympiacos on Thursday, would Traore have started on Saturday? And, uh, I think, and I think he probably would. I think, he had, I think Nuno had one eye on Thursday. The shoulder issue needs to be managed. And it's just so hard to say what is the bigger game, though, isn't it? What what what, what is the bigger game? What, what's the bigger game coming up? Is it is it Thursday or Sunday? It's you know they're fighting on two fronts here for Champions League football, um, as kind of outlandish and as and as crazy as it sounds. You know that's that's what it they're does. fighting for now. That's where it they are. Happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, I but that's where they are. Those. Just say it again. Sorry, just say that again. <laughs> that's just it. They're fighting for Champions League football on two fronts, Jackie. Not one, but mm. two. Hey, that's where they are. 
which is why it feels like such a letdown dropping two points at home to Brighton. And that isn't any disrespect to Brighton. It's where they are in the table. Uh, and it is the fact that they have a lot of tough challenges coming up. But credit to Graham Potter, former West Bromwich Albion defender Graham Potter. That's fine. And um, and they got the point they deserved. We've got a few questions about that match. Matthew Scrivens asks... Does the Brighton game highlight not just the need for a couple of formations, but a couple of styles of play? It feels like we could use a more directly offensive style in games like that. Is there a case for that? Or am I still subconsciously stuck to an outdated 4-4-2 principle? They have, they have been a bit more directly offensive in some games this season. I remember Villa at home, they were completely overloaded them and in that first half and tore, tore them to shreds and 2-1 was not reflective of the dominance they had that day. They, they can do that. Um, they went to they went to Arsenal uh, earlier in the season and kind of took them on on the front foot, which is very impressive. It's a question that comes up a lot, you know, should they have a proper plan B, a different formation? But these guys, these guys know this system inside out and mm. I do not see a new formation being introduced unless it's something they work on over pre-season. And I think the Spurs game last week really highlighted that in that Wolves knew exactly what they were doing in their 3-4-3 and Spurs tried to change, to try to match Wolves up with three at the back and got it wrong because they're not used to it. You know, these guys these guys are trained this way, some of them for for three years now, almost three years, the likes of Cody and Neves and Jota. They've been there that long and Bolly. So... I agree that they may, it may need something a little bit more from the from the Plan B draw, but I don't see that happening this season. And you, you've got to say they're incredibly hard to beat, very hard to beat with the organisation and the shape that they've got. So just because it didn't work on Saturday doesn't mean it's not the right formation going forward for me. I, I certainly don't see him going forward, forward at the back anytime soon. Wolves have won five of their 15 home games in the Premier League this season, the same number that they've won from 14 away games. How many of those matches at home, those 15 at home, would you say they've really gone, not gung-ho, because that's not that's not the way they play, but have they gone really on the front foot, high tempo, attacking from the first whistle? Not many. I mean, it's just, it's just not Nuno's way, is it? He's, he's, he's a pragmatist and he's done this throughout his career. You know, he, he builds his teams from the back and Wolves are built from the back and... Clean sheet is the priority, first and foremost. Um, so it's, it's it's an interesting question to pose, isn't it, for the next kind of, the next season particularly, and the season after that, if Nuno's still here. Is he going to change his ways and become more of an attacking manager? Because if you look at teams that qualify for the Champions League every season, goal difference is huge and they score a lot of goals, Right. Goal difference of plus four, plus five is not going to get you consistency in the, consistently into the Champions League. So Wolves, Wolves don't really score enough goals to be to be a top, top, top team. Yeah, and looking at that home record of wins, it, it's five of them. So Wolves two, Watford nil. Wolves two, Villa one. Wolves Ooh. two, West Ham nil. There's a three-two comeback against Ten Man City. And then 3-0 against Norwich recently. It's not a lot of goals or victories at home in the Premier League. We're not being overly critical, but that is a fact out of 15 home Premier League games. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you've, you've, got, to point, you've got to point out that they would be nowhere near Champions League football in a normal season. You know, I was doing some number crunching um, yesterday. And if Chelsea carry on with their current points per game record, they'll earn early 60s. I think it's about 61 and the lowest, that the lowest uh, figure that anybody has qualified for Champions League for um, in the last fifteen years is sixty-one, 
which was Everton. Since then, it tends to average in the 70s. So my point is that Wolves have never had a better chance to get in the top four um, for the last kind of 15 years. Um, if you look at if you look at the way the league has developed this year, so yes, they're doing fantastic, sixth place, last six in the Europa League, brilliant. But there are areas they need to improve if they want this to become tangible and they want to be in this position this time next year as well. Looking at the goals that they've scored, and particularly at home, they've scored 21 goals from 15 at home. So that's a plus four in their record. You think that's possibly something that needs improving. But in terms of the supporters, you mentioned it was really, really quiet. Was that right from the start of the game or is it as the game progressed that the fans were really quiet? No, it was pretty quiet throughout. And it's, it's, I've noticed it a few times over the last last few weeks. The Espanyol home game was certainly quieter than I thought it would be. The Norwich home game was very quiet as well. So I, I don't know why that is really. Are people Are people just getting used to werewolves are I, I don't think it's complacency um but it's certainly kind of something which i think nuno will probably be disappointed he'll, he'll be wanting it to be a bit louder um and to be a bit more of a cauldron and it's noticeably quieter than it was a few months ago yeah i i, I don't know why that is it, it, it's it's hard to kind of sit there as a journalist when you, you know you're paid to be there every week and and criticize the fans who pay their hard-earned money to be there week after week but yeah you, you've got to, you've got to say it's quieter. It certainly is quieter. Question from Chris Haycock. Kind of along these lines, do you think the fan base has become a little too expectant on certain game outcomes now that we're a top Premier League team, that we now expect the team, rightly or wrongly, to be able to roll over anyone that is lower than 10th in the league? Yeah, I guess, you know, when when Wolves beat Man City, you know, when they beat um, Liverpool and Chelsea last season and Man United and Spurs last week, then... And they're in the last 16 of the Europa League. Then, yeah, when Norwich and Brighton visit Molyneux, the fans are going to expect them to win, I think. And it's not like the 90s kind of level of expectancy where they would get on the players' backs if they weren't winning. It's, it's not that at all. It's just a, it's just a bit more of a quiet expectancy, I guess, that, that they're going to win every week. And that's what's going to happen when you've had two years of, of un, almost unparalleled success. You know, certainly in the modern era, Wolves' rise over the last two years is um, is, is phenomenal. So um, they're going to expect it to, to continue, I guess, consciously or subconsciously. And it's it's definitely a bit. It's a little bit of an issue going forward. I know I know that Nuno and the players um, would want it to probably be a bit louder. Certain players really react to that crowd noise, and it kind of gives them an extra five percent or gives them a bit more motivation to you know really strain themselves and make that little 50-yard dash or going for that crunching tackle. So, yeah, it's something that, that they've tried to work on. They want the fans to come in earlier. They've changed a lot of the kind of pre-match routines and the music to try and make it more of an event and a spectacle. And um, I think it's something that they'll be looking at in the next year or two as, as to how to make Molyneux even more of a, of a cauldron. But uh, you've got to say there's no no problem for a big match, you know, for Olympiacos in that second leg if... If Wolves have lost 2-1 in Greece and bring them back to Molyneux next Thursday, the place will be absolutely rocking. Seems a better under the lights midweek rather than Sunday 2 o'clock matches or Saturday 3 o'clock matches even. But Aid asks, um, this is Aid, by the way, who said he'd bring carrot cake one day, so we do have to get him on. Let's get him on. Hi both, did Nuna get the selection and the shape wrong on Saturday? Was Adama rested to try to protect the shoulder? I think they tried to do something similar to what they did against Norwich. And it just hasn't quite worked. And like I said, the performance of Dendonka probably didn't help. Didn't really see him bursting through the lines enough. I think that's something they'll want to address in the summer. Need a bit more of a creative spark. 
um, in that role if they're going to play three five two, and you've got to have a bit of sim- a bit of sympathy for them on the Troyore situation. You know, you've got to manage him carefully. Shoulder's been dislocated three times in in two or three months, so maybe in hindsight he would have stuck with three four three and played Pedence instead of Troyore who we're all kind of waiting to see, you know, in his preferred position on, on the right. Easy in hindsight. I'll tell you what, if, if Dendonka scores, uh, what was it, a few minutes from time, instead of lashing it over the bar, then, then it's happy days, isn't it? So um, it's fine margins. Exactly. And all those misplaced passes weren't anything to do with formations, were they? They were just various players off the ball. Um, but we spoke last week about the formation of Jota, who's been on fire recently, possibly thriving more in a two is that not necessarily the case or is it just simply a case of individuals having off days I think so Jackie I, I, I'm not reading too much into it you know they've um, they've really picked up in the last few weeks you've got to say as far as positives go um, another clean sheet is five clean sheets in seven which when they had that horrendous run either side of Christmas of conceding first week after week after week you know we were criticising them left right and centre for that um, and they've now sorted that out. They've rectified that. Willie Bolly's return has instigated this this um, really impressive run at the back. So, you know, they're not um, they're not they're not Liverpool, are they? So you've got to you've got to accept that there are weaknesses in this team, and they're trying to evolve week after week. Generally, results are very very good. Exactly, and they would have gone fourth overnight, or for a short time anyway, if they'd have won that game. Perhaps that's a little bit of disappointment there, but they're still only two points behind fifth place, which could well still lead to Champions League. But our friend Ben Donker uh, has come back to us with, how much of a miss do you think Johnny's been down that left-hand side? He gives such a balance in transition between defence and attack. Also, do you think Vinagro will improve his defensive qualities in the near future, as it's the weakest part of his game? See you in Greece, he says. Yep, definitely miss Johnny. Um, you saw with the Spurs game, um, Vinagre arguably cost Wolves at least one, maybe two goals. And then, yeah, he just, just wasn't quite on it on um, Saturday. They do miss Johnny, that transition. He's so good at that. He's got a really good instinctive link up with Diogo Jota as well, which they, which they miss when he's not in the team. And he's just so solid defensively. You, you know exactly what you're going to get from Johnny. Not many mistakes. Again, knows his role inside out. Knows his limitations, knows his strengths. Whereas Vinagra, I don't think you'd say that about him at the moment. Uh, he's still learning about himself and his game, and needs a long run in the team really if he's going to iron out those those defensive mistakes. I, th- I think he has. I think he has improved defensively. Certainly, his his one on one situations, but he is prone to the odd lapse in concentration. Um, he offers you more going forward than Johnny. Certainly on the overlap. Um, and he's a very explosive talent on his day, whereas Johnny's very much more of a safe pair of hands and more of Nuno's type of player, I think, at this moment in time. So interesting to see how Vinagre develops going forward because um, he's he's got a, he's got a little bit of catching up to do if he if he wants to be a first team regular. So Vinagre is twenty. His fellow Portuguese Pedro Neto, as we record this on Monday, is twenty today. Happy birthday, Pedro Neto! He's obviously going to be listening to the Molyneux View. Um, ben Middleton asks: Are we guilty of overlooking how good he could potentially be? I mean, bearing in mind the Wolf signed him from Lazio, but he'd only ever made three substitute appearances for Braga, four for Lazio, only ever scored one league goal before he came to Wolves. And since then, as a teenager, he started seven Premier League games, made 14 substitute appearances and scored twice. Is he ahead of the curve? He certainly made more of a contribution than I was expecting. I mean, they signed him and Jordao for big money. 
20 million between the two of them, you know, it's, it's not to be sniffed at. So you would have expected something from them this season. And, and Neto's the man who's who's really produced, certainly that spell after Christmas when Jota was injured. I thought he did great. And he offers he offers something um, potentially explosive off the bench. He's not he's not as good of an all-round team player as Jota. So it's kind of similar to the Johnny Vinagra um, balance on the left. You know, Johnny's your team man. You know what you're going to get from him. Same with Jota, whereas Neto is a bit more of an unknown quantity, but has got a, a very high ceiling in terms of potential. And we saw what he did against Spurs last week, even just that one mazy dribble he went on when Wolves were 3-2 up, took on, what, three or four players, nearly set up Hibnes for what would have been like an unbelievable goal. So I was disappointed not to see him on, on Saturday. Very strange, really, why um, Nuno chose, chose not to bring him on. I'm not, not really sure... Why that was, um, you know, you're struggling to unlock a stubborn defence. You've still got a sub to make. He only made two subs um, and didn't bring him on. So I think there's a lot to come from him. He's got a good attitude, as, as they all have. You know, he's determined, he's young. He's got a lot of qualities in his locker and he's got the perfect manager in Nuno to, to unlock those. He's extremely dynamic, isn't he? He's always in a hurry to make something happen. That's what's so great about Pedro Neto. Yes, some of his finishing is going to be a bit wayward. Still very young. But he's always desperate to make a difference and, and to do it rapidly, quickly, to unsettle defenders and to make something happen and to look up and try and find a teammate. He's a perfect substitute in that regard when things are going a little bit flat. But I just wonder the fact that he didn't come on. Is that an indication that Nuno's looking to Thursday to really save all options? Yeah, maybe. maybe. I, don't, I don't anticipate Neto starting in midweek. It was, um, yeah, it was a strange one, really. You're right. I mean, he's in, in what he offers, and he's similar to Jota in that he's so he's so direct and forward thinking. Um, I'm glad that that awful, horrendous miss at Espanyol doesn't seem to have affected him, judging by what he did at Spurs last week, because yeah, he was um, absolutely crestfallen after that one. So, again, he's one of those that's found it easier to settle than he might have done, you know, 19 years old, coming to a new country, doesn't speak the language, but he's got his Portuguese mates there to help him settle in. By all accounts, he's done that. Popular member of the squad. So he's he's ready to kick on. And with him, with Jota, with Pedence and with Traore, Wolves have got four really explosive forward players there with Jimenez, the man, to kind of link them all together. So... I'm not sure that they'll necessarily be looking to strengthen in that in that area of the pitch this summer, given given the four options that Nuno's got at his um, as, at his disposal. You know, they all offer varying qualities and to opposition defence. So, Neto very much part of the first team squad now. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft Beer Discovery Club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave anytime. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52 
2022.com forward slash wolves to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. Okay, well, let's look ahead to Olympiakos away on Thursday. First of all, before we hear from James McNicholas on the match and about the Greek side themselves, just tell us what you know as we sit here today on Monday afternoon in terms of the likelihood of this match being played behind closed doors. Yeah, well, hopefully when people are listening to this, the the decision has been made. I mean, I can't imagine it's going to drag on into Tuesday because, you know, people people will start start to be travelling out to Athens on Tuesday on Tuesday and Wednesday, Wolves fans. So Greek government made a decision at the weekend to suspend all public sporting events for the next two weeks. Uh, We've seen a similar decision made in France today. So initially, as soon as you see that, you presume that Wolves' game will also be behind closed doors, as that's on Thursday. But UEFA are um, meeting with the Greek government today to... I guess see if there's any way that the match can go ahead um, with fans there, especially since there's so many fans, I think around a thousand, have, have paid hundreds of pounds uh, on flights and accommodation already. A lot of the fans I've spoken to will still be travelling out anyway, regardless, even if it is behind closed doors, um, unlikely to get refunds on those flights. So it's just it's just a real... Um, obviously, obviously, safety comes first, but it's just so disappointing that Wolves are back in Europe for first time in 40 years they've had one one game already behind closed doors um although obviously wasn't at Slovan Bratislava when they when they threw the kids in um they had the game in Braga where lots of them didn't get to see the first half because of the horrendous stewarding and policing conditions over there and now this so you know fans have not got a lot of spare cash flying around and most of them have probably used up all their annual leave already you know following wolves around europe so it'd just be so disappointing if if they can't watch it on thursday but it's an unprecedented situation and there's uh, there's very little well there's nothing that wolves can do about it that's for sure no and you understand that if that was the case and the fans still travel hoping that they're going to either get in to see the game or they're going to watch it with fellow Wolves fans. Well, they're still going to be getting together in great numbers, aren't they? Whether they're inside the stadium or whether they're inside bars and pubs and hotels and all the rest of it. But hey, that's yeah, not really yeah. for us. That's for the uh, that's for the public health experts. Um, but let's now hear from James McNicholas uh, because he sent us in his views on Olympiacos, bearing in mind that he covers Arsenal for The Athletic. And he has interviewed the manager, Pedro Martins, after Olympiacos knocked Arsenal out of the Europa League in the last round. I was fortunate enough to speak to Pedro Martins last week for an interview that's soon going to be up on The Athletic. And we spoke about the way in which his Olympiacos team overcame Arsenal over the course of two legs. They lost the first leg, of course, 1-0 out in Greece. But he felt even then that they were unlucky, that they'd been sort of level with Arsenal, that they'd been a good match for them. And actually, the statistics kind of bear that out. Certainly in terms of the opportunities they had, uh, there was an equality between the two teams. Then, of course, they came to the Emirates Stadium, 1-0 down. I think Arsenal fans were pretty confident that Arsenal were going to roll them over. But this is a different Olympiacos team. It's the strongest Olympiacos team that I've seen for some time. And Arsenal have drawn them plenty of times over the last 10 years or so. So I was impressed. I thought they had really, really good tactical discipline. That was Martins' plan. You know, he told his team, never lose the balance, never lose the organisation, and crucially, never lose emotional control. They were cold-blooded when they needed to be. They sat deep. They looked to hit us on the break. 
Arsenal have really benefited in recent weeks from using Bukayo Saka as an overlapping fullback, almost a wing-back. And I'd say Olympiacos were the team who coped best with that. They were really well prepared. Uh, the right winger, Lazar Randelovic, he tracked Saka's runs and he just didn't get in behind as often as he would hope or Arsenal would like. The other thing to say about them is they were really dangerous on set pieces. That's how both their goals came about. They've got good delivery from the likes of Mathieu Valbuena, who you might remember from... Marseille and the French national team and they've got two centre-halves who are about six foot five each uh, I might be exaggerating slightly six foot five six foot six they look um, really dominant in the air and it gives them a real threat they like to whip the ball into the near post and attack it there and Arsenal were vulnerable and they exploited that they are going extremely well in the Greek league they are unbeaten I believe still um, looking to complete an unbeaten season there so that domestic form obviously fueling their European campaign and they've come to England plenty of times this season you know they played Arsenal in the Europa League but before that they played Spurs in the Champions League um, it's been a long European campaign for them began way back in the summer and I think they're determined for it to end Positively, um, Wolves are a team that Pedro Martins knows well. Obviously, he knows Nuno from his time working in Portugal. He knows a lot of the players. Uh, he knows Daniel Pudence, particularly, of course, who left the Olympiacos for Wolves in January. He's a big fan of him as a player, as you'd expect. Not particularly surprised that he's not been a regular, necessarily, at Wolves thus far, um, because Wolves have got a very strong team. I also spoke to him briefly about Adama Traore, you know, to talk about the impact he's made in English football this season. No big surprise to Pedro Martins. He remembers him well from his time with the Barcelona B team. But look, overall, uh, I think this is a stern test for Wolves. I think Olympiacos, you know, they they really performed excellently at the Emirates Stadium. And if they match that, I think it will be a, a closely fought tie. So fascinated to see how they get on. Uh, best of luck to Wolves in the Europa League. So Tim, how much of a threat do you think they pose to Wolves? And by far the toughest test that Wolves have had to face in the Europa League so far. If um, if you look at the teams they've had to play already, Torino, probably the tough, the best team they've played, I think. And Torino are, are really struggling in Syria. Um, Braga beat them, of course, but you know Wolves had a terrible, uh, terrible off day that day. So my point is, it's it's by far the toughest test that they've had to face, and um, shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, the way that they. That they beat Arsenal, they drew at Spurs early this season, um, knocked Burnley out of the qualifiers. You know, the start of last season as well. Got a couple of really key danger men to look out for. Matthew Valbuena being chief among them, and Yusuf Al Arabi as well has scored twenty three goals, I think it is, in all competitions. So that's a fantastic record. Interestingly, the keeper, Portuguese keeper Jose Sarr, he's an injury doubt for Thursday. Um, he's pretty much an ever-present for them. Played 40 times in all competitions this season, so that would be a plus for Wolves. Um, but no, they've got they've got very good attacking options, very good on the break, as James was saying there. They deserve to beat Arsenal, and Wolves will go there this week looking to avoid... Um, well, you'd say defeat a two-one defeat is manageable for the second leg, but yeah, Wolves Wolves will certainly go there looking to restrict the damage that um, Olympiacos can inflict in that first leg. Look to get them back to Molyneux um, and complete the job in that second leg. But they should be under no illusions of of just how tough this this test is going to be. At the very least, they've got a certain guy called Mister Pedence, the mole in the camp, who can tell them um, all about their strengths and weaknesses and 
Obviously, Wolves and Nuno will have will have scoured videotapes of all their matches this season, or as many matches as possible this season. Um, but very, very tough away from home. This is the first real big intimidating game if the fans are in that Wolves will have faced. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens if it is if it is an empty stadium. Then that will play into Wolves' hands, I think, a touch. Um, they haven't really, apart from Besiktas, had to deal with a really intimidating away atmosphere so far. And obviously we know how um, passionate and noisy those Greek fans can be. So if it is behind closed doors, that'll definitely play in Wolves' favour. And Pedence having scored against Tottenham in the Olympiakos Stadium, do you think that he has a chance of starting or do you think it's Triore all the way? Just just looking at what they've done so far, um, you'd have to say Triore and... I think fans are kind of concerned that he's going to become the new Catrone in terms of Nuno not utilising him. I don't think that's the case. I just think they're getting him ready on the training ground. You know, they place such a big emphasis on training sessions and perhaps Nuno just hasn't seen enough from him yet um, to warrant a start. I mean, I thought he did okay away at Espanyol. Positive evening. Contributed to, to two goals in, in helping set up to two goals. But as far as the pecking order goes, then it's definitely Traore and Jota, your first choice. And with away goals being so important, I um, I can't imagine Traore won't start if he's going to go 3-4-3 on Thursday. You know, you go with your best 11 um, and see what they come back with. What's the team news situation in terms of Johnny? How long is he out for? Um, I think he'll be another week or so. I wouldn't expect to see him on Thursday. So probably looking more at either West Ham or the second leg next week. Let's look ahead to West Ham away on Sunday. One win and seven defeats in ten in all competitions for them. They're a couple of points above the relegation zone. And in terms of David Moyes, two Premier League wins in ten for him. But with regards to performances, they do seem to have picked up. And by all accounts, they should have got something at Arsenal at the weekend. Well, they should have got some at Liverpool as well. I thought they were um, they were fantastic when I watched them at Anfield um, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, that's the thing with West Ham. They've always got talented players who can turn over pretty much any team on their day. But they seem to really they seem to really they're sort of the opposite of Wolves in that they just lack that team cohesion and and have done for a while. Really, they tend to rely on their individual stars to to dig them out of games, but. Too, it's, too often they're reliant on those stars, you know, turning on the magic. So, as far as their results go, yeah, been very poor recently and they're deep in relegation trouble. And you've got to say, for them, more than any other club in that relegation battle, relegation would be a disaster for West Ham, considering all the, the finances at play in the stadium, etc. So, I think Wolves can play on the fact that it'll be an impatient crowd. Uh, obviously they won there last year with Traore getting his first goal for the club memorable day that one early on in the season and I think uh, Wolves are probably a better team away from home at the moment they look very organised and and hard to beat so West Ham like I said on their day if they're all turning it on then there can be um, a team that's good enough for the top half of the table but that happens so infrequently and you go through their team and it's a real kind of mismatch of some youth, some experience, you know, lots of square pegs in round holes. Jared Bowen's come in and, and made quite a quite a bright start, but um, obviously he'll take a bit of use to get used to this level. So I think Wolves can go there and um, certainly look look to win, I think. Um, and it's an important game, seeing as the games are running out now, there'll only be eight left after this, and if they've got ambitions of finishing fifth, then this is the kind of game they need to win. 
I checked in with a journalist colleague of mine who covers West Ham and he said the vibe amongst the fans is the same. Support the team, protest against the board. They let off black balloons again against Arsenal. And I think something's happening pre-match before the Wolves game, but not too sure exactly what yet. So that'd be interesting to see what's going on off the pitch. Um, it's very difficult to to preview a game when there's another one in between, isn't there, in terms of injuries, in terms of... They don't really get tired legs, though, do they, Wolves? No, they don't. I mean, there's, there's this ridiculous stat that they've played more games in England, as I said earlier, uh, more games than anyone else in England. They've used fewer players, I think, again, than any team in, in the English game. In, um, it's like 18, 19, 20 they've used in the league now. And yet they've come from behind and earned more points from losing positions again than any other team. So it just it just defies logic. You know, you've got you've got the smallest squad, they've played the most games, and they've come from behind more than anybody. So you've got to pay the highest possible tribute to the to the physio team and the medical staff that they've got at the club. What they do, uh, I'd, it's some kind of crazy voodoo magic, obviously. Um, but either way, they don't want to reveal their secrets. But there's a massive emphasis on preparation and injury prevention and then immediate recovery after a game. And the record is phenomenal. In terms of muscle injuries, you know, you can count on one hand the, the amount that they've suffered in, in the past two seasons now. So Johnny's the only one out at the moment, um, or Gibbs White as well. Um, but certainly in terms of, you know, the first team squad and the amount of minutes that they that they can play due to lack of injuries, it's it's phenomenal. So, you know, you look ahead to Sunday and say it'll be a settled side, as, as it always is. What's the situation with regards to replacing Phil Haywood, who was head of medical, who went off to LA Galaxy? Yeah, nothing on that front yet. I mean, um, they've got they've got they've got a very big team um, in terms of backroom staff, medical team, physiotherapists. So um, I'm sure they'll be looking to replace him, and they've got quite a few kind of vacancies. Really, if you look at the whole structure, with obviously with Thelwell and Darimple leaving as well, they haven't been replaced. So. There'll probably be some kind of structural change in, in that as well. There's nothing on the horizon, and Phil's got a great move to MLS, as you say, with LA Galaxy. Um, but no, no one, um, no one coming in at the moment. And what's the latest with regards to the replacement for Kevin Thelwell, the sporting director? There was a piece by David Ornstein in the Athletic today. Yeah, he's um, he's put together a piece in his column today uh, with some very interesting information, kind of saying that the search is stepping up. Um, you know, we we believe that Wolves will be bringing someone in before the next transfer window. And it seems like that search has kind of uh, picked up a bit of pace now. And uh, they were linked with Barnsley's um, Barnsley CEO, Dane Murphy, this week. Um, American chap, he's done very well at Barnsley. So um, the consensus when Thelwell left was that she was kind of happy to wait until the summer if necessary to get the right person in. But I think they've kind of ramped up that search now. And it seems like from, from David's information that the role will be downgraded slightly. Uh, and we'll see again a bit of structural change. I think I think I said this at the time, you know, they will struggle to bring in a high profile, um, well-known sporting director if they even want to. Because it's a very unusual situation at Wolves. Um, in that George Mendes, as we know, is heavily involved in their recruitment. So whoever comes in has got to accept that and almost play second fiddle, you know, when it comes to first team top end recruitment. 
Obviously, Thelwell, as we know, was involved in a, in a number of transfers, like Adama Traore, Leander Dendonka, and going back a bit, Bennett and Ruddy as well. But the bulk of the first team players that have come in, your Martinios, your Patricios, your Jimenezes, you know, this is this is Mendes's work and, and those around him, this guest of his work. So whoever comes in has, has got to accept those conditions and some people, everyone's got an ego in football and some won't, won't be willing to accept that role, which is why kind of Thelwell was, was so ideally suited to it for, for the two, three years that he was here with, with Foson as well. So interested to see who they're bringing in, but I don't think it'll be anybody that, that we know, put it that way. Is that healthy, that situation? The fact that they can't or won't attract somebody maybe of a very high calibre to do that sporting director role because they are so heavily reliant on the views and the contacts of a super agent? I mean, it works. the bottom line for me is that, that it works for them. Um, you can argue, no, it's not necessarily kind of morally how you'd want to, to run your football club, but the proof's in the pudding and the proof's in the results at Wolves. And I didn't think, you know, you look at people like Thelwell, Nuno and She. I mean, their personalities couldn't be any more different, really. Uh, wildly contrasting um, backgrounds and views on the game and personalities. But it worked, you know, it worked It worked for them. So the arrangement works for them with Mendes and Nuno being so um, such good friends, going back a couple of decades with Jeff Shee and Mendes knowing each other well and, and the companies they work for being intrinsically linked. So it, it works. It, it shouldn't work on paper, I don't think, but... But it does, you know, whatever they do, it seems to be fairly harmonious. The first team recruitment has been exceptional, you have to say. You know, they've made a few dodgy signings, but on the whole, it's been exceptional. So whatever they do, it works. And the big thing for Wolves now going forward is going to be the under-23 players they want to bring in who are going to back up and boost this first team squad. They've got a very very settled kind of 18, 19 players, um, but they want an improvement in the ones below that level. Um, that can come in and, and boost the first team squad. So that'll be um, that'll be a challenge for whoever comes in, as will under eighteen recruitment. You know, we spoke about this with Steve Davis a few weeks ago that that the under 18s need improving as well. So so that'll be that'll be the crux of what they'll be expected to um, improve on certainly in the next kind of one or two years. Um, with George Mendes still very heavily involved in in looking at first team additions, as we saw in January. Had a couple of tweet questions in. Son of Nuno. Don't think it is the son of Nuno because he's studying at Manchester University, I think. Something scientific. <laughs> he sounds very clever. But anyway, son of Nuno, why not call yourself that? Should we break the bank to get Grealish in when Villa go down? That's the most Wolves thing ever, isn't it? When Villa go down. Is there another obvious candidate that can help us unlock defences when teams set up defensively and we can't seem to break them down, as was the case on Saturday? I mean, Grealish should be Grealish should be an outstanding addition to this Wolf squad, but I don't see it happening for one minute because you've only got to look at, at where they bring their players from. You know, they they don't pay over the odds for domestic players because, as we know, traditionally um, English players or players based in the Premier League or the Championship will cost more money than their equivalents in Spain or Portugal or wherever. Adama Traore no came in, but he had a release clause of, of eighteen million which is why they're able to get him. So no, I, I don't expect Wolves I don't expect Wolves to go for Grealish. I mean he'll cost what at least 50 million you'd say. I mean like I say he'd be a fantastic addition but Wolves tend to buy younger players with potential rather than 
players that everybody knows about who are going to cost a lot more money because Fosun are an investment firm you know they invest in quality and potential and as I said a few minutes ago it it's worked very well for them so far their recruitment's been outstanding Lee Haynes asked Tim love the podcast and hearing you and Jackie talk Wolves every week if we were to qualify for the Champions League how many signings do you believe we'd need to strengthen the current squad and what areas would be a priority uh, oh, good question yeah. They'll certainly need a few. I think that I think they need to improve the defence. As good as Romain Saez has been, I, I prefer Bolly on the left personally. So I think they need a right side centre half, and I don't think I still don't think they'll expand the, expand the squad if at all. I think they'll keep this tight knit squad. It works for them in terms of team spirit and, and and harmony. But I think they need, and I've said this for a, for a while now, they need a number ten um, as a different option as a plan B. Someone someone with a bit of magic and a bit of crafts to unlock a defence in a game like we saw on Saturday. Is Neves not that man, though, if you're playing further forward? I'm not sure. Has he got the movement? I mean, he's he's improved his movement in the past couple of years, but I'm not sure he's quite kind of dynamic enough in terms of those little five-yard sprints um, and his mobility. I'm not sure it's quite there. I think he's I think he's better sitting further further deeper. But either way, they haven't got a, they haven't got a plethora of options in that position. If if Morgan Gibbs White had kicked on as they hoped, he might be that man. Still might be. You never know. But if not, I, I think they need a I think they need a number ten. Yeah. Now, Tim. Oh, Binya. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, this video. Here we go. This video. I'm sorry. I've been dying to talk about this. I, I've, I've enjoyed talking about the players, and I've enjoyed talking about the goalless draw at home to Brighton and previewing the next couple of matches. But frankly, I've been itching to talk to you about this video that Wolves put on their Twitter feed about Alf, who turned 100. His grandson emailed the club and Max Fitzgerald, the head of media, and uh, Josh Power and the Wolves team, who provides so much great content via the website and social media, etc., decided to do something very special for Alf to send John Richards, Ted Farmer, and Willie Carr to his house. And they showed his telegram he'd had from the Queen and then took him to Compton Training Ground. And oh my goodness, did this video move you as much as me? I was emotional. What Just what a guy. I mean, some of the little exchanges he had with some of the players and then... And then, yeah, Nuno bringing in the cake. And, oh, it was just lovely. It was just lovely. Yeah, that, what did he say to, yeah, to Connor Cody? Uh, st- stick it up him, he says. Stick it stick it up him. He about Olympiacos <laughs> away. He said, he, he, he turned to Connor Cody, shook his hand and said, how been you, mate? And then he said about the Olympiacos game, he said, stick it up him, mate, and turned around and carried on eating his lunch. Stick it up for me. I think he said the same. To, he said the same to to um, Pedence as well. He goes, "Oh, I've been your mate." <laughs> What's Pedence going to say to that? Shaking hands with all these Portuguese, Mexican, Spanish players. I've been your mate, and stick it up them. <laughs> oh my god! I was literally, I was in the back of a cab on the way back from Somerset. I was crying. We laughed at this poor taxi driver. I was thinking, what is this woman doing? Is she like crying, crying? Is she laughing? Is she upset? I couldn't stop laughing because he's such a character and it was just such a lovely thing to do for a bloke who'd seen Billy Wright and and all the old players. I mean, 100, and I swear he did not look a day over 80, genuinely, did he? No, he didn't. He was moving around okay, wasn't he? I, I hope I'm moving around that well if I, if I get to 60, to be honest. So, uh, no, it's lovely. I, I love, yeah, some of the video content Wolves do is fantastic. And um, yeah, what a guy, what a guy. 
they did credit to them because it was just a really lovely thing to do. And, and it's great seeing all the different angles of Wolves scoring wonderful goals at, at uh, Tottenham. They do that sort of thing really, really well. Um, but just to do something completely different like this for a 100-year-old fan who was just a wonderful character, it was such a nice thing to do. And very finally, Simon Faulkner points out another win yesterday for the Wolves women at Donny Bell's. 10 points and they're promoted to the FA Women's National League Northern Premier Division. That's the third tier. Can you give the girls a shout out, please? Absolutely. Next home game, Sunday, 22nd of March at 2pm. That's at the stadium in Castlecroft against Solihull Moors. £3 for adults and £2 for um, juniors and under-12s are free. So consider yourselves shouted out. Oh, yeah. Uh, just having a phenomenal season, aren't they? Can't wait to see how they progress next season. And it feels like, you know, things are really gearing up with the investment that's going in and, and the, the extra training that they're doing and closely linked to Compton um, and the club. So it's, it's all going in one direction, really. It's great to see. Thank you, Simon, for the reminder there about Wolves Women. We are following them and it's good to see how well they are progressing. Thank you so much, Tim Spears, for your efforts today. Thank you, Jackie Oatley. And good luck on your travels to Greece, you lucky God. What a life you've got. I know I say this every single week, but you really do have a life. Some of us go to Butlins in Minehead. You're going to Greece and <laughs> lots of other exciting countries to watch Wolverhampton Wanderers play. Just hope that the fans get to go in the stadium. That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, and then they're off to London at the weekend to see Wolves at West Ham. If, if you want to read Tim's articles on The Athletic, I very strongly advise that you do and subscribe to The Athletic. If you haven't already, you can get a 40% discount using the code... Wolves pod and then you can read all the content not just from Tim but from all the other correspondents on The Athletic and you can listen to all these podcasts ad free as well via the app. Thank you for now. We'll be back same time next week.